Issue number 23 of the Infinite Backlog, a chronological tour of the best and most noteworthy Marvel comics. I'm Andy, the Neo Garden Hose, and with me is my co-host, Rory, the Comely Monster Popsicle. Oh, boy, those are fun. (laughs) Comely Monster Popsicle (laughs) made me laugh. For longer than I would, would like to admit alone in my house looking at my tablet. Uh, and it's issue number 23. You remember that Jim Carrey movie, number 23? Did you ever see that? I didn't. Is it the same kind of principle as the Robin Williams one where they're, they're scared of numbers? Basically, yeah. They're scared of numbers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the the number 23... I don't know. It, it, it looked, I definitely saw it in theaters in college, but I think I was drunk and it was like, nice, dude. Oh, sick. Fucking nice. <laughs> and, uh, and it had, yeah, it was that kind of thing where like, it was like, oh, wait a minute. There are five of us here, but five times five is 25. And as you subtract two, you get 23 again. Oh, the number 23 is following us everywhere. It's just, uh, it hurt. It hurt to watch. It's a weird. It's a weird subgenre of movies because, as I understand it, <laughs> numbers a, are spooky. It, well, Number yeah. horror. So I, as I, there was the nines. Do you remember the nines? But the nines yeah. went a different way, uh, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, my understanding is, and we might cut all this because it's not really no, comic. This is this is fucking great. But I want to say it's it's great content. This is great content. My understanding <laughs> is it's a fairly typical expression of schizophrenia, but uh-huh, uh-huh. that's not. It doesn't make it a genre of film. It's like, no. okay, I can appreciate that somebody mentally ill sees these patterns. Um, why are we making a movie about that? Yeah. Unless yeah. the point is to highlight mental illness, like uh, a beautiful mind, but the horror movie presents it as nor as like real. Like, oh my right, God. Right. The horror movie seems to sort of like imply that like, oh, isn't it kind of crazy how they, numbers they show up truth. in your life? And it's like, dude, that's just, this is just bad science and complete horrible misunderstanding of how numbers work. And and also just human pattern seeking. Like, yeah, pick a lucky number and just see how often it shows up in your life. It's astounding. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Not to interrupt our awesome Jim Carrey conversation, but I do think it is worth at least mentioning that Shane's not here. And we that's should different. mention Shane's. I thought you were going to say my mutant, pa- <laughs> my mutant power is the number 23. <laughs> because not only do we not have our our substantially uh, uh i guess hunk stick with hunk i wanted yeah, to dig yeah. deeper than i didn't want it to dig deeper <laughs> than the the well we always return to yeah but we don't have our hunk on the show this week <laughs> we don't it's just have... it's just the two softer ones it's just the gargoyles <laughs> No, Shane's on vacation, so we, uh, we thought that we would give Rory uh, a milk bone and do a small little episode just on some X-Men shit that we haven't read. 
Uh, so this week we're following X Men and only X Men. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> so I, I did a little looking around. So the actual the X Men title ran from you know like the the sixties into right into nineteen seventy, and the first three months of nineteen seventy they put out issues sixty four, sixty five, and sixty six, and it didn't stop there. They took a few months off, and then they brought it brought it back with sixty seven. Except from sixty seven through I want to say like ninety three, it's all reprints of earlier yeah. X-Men issues. <laughs> so they were kind of soft canceled. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, uh, little white kids weren't the best demo for the most obvious racial allegory in the Marvel <laughs> pantheon. I mean, a lot of them have to like have it kind of buried in there. Like, I don't think most people would think of Fantastic Four as anything other than a superhero fantasy. Right. And and truth be told, a lot of their stories kind of don't engage with the. It does. Yeah. So yeah, the Fantastic Four is the best example because as as it's moved as it's moved away from its roots and as it's grown further from the nasty stuff going on in the forties, it's not really obvious anymore that they're not just four white people who are rich and fabulous and right. super powered, and and so it has no. There's no gravitas. Yeah, whereas X-Men continues to yeah, it reinvents exactly. itself constantly so that it remains relevant. It represents everybody, and that's sort of the best part, is like it is it is really not I guess I guess one could argue uh it was not subtle with its uh reference to Malcolm X and Martin Luther King at first. Uh, true, yes. But it has never really been overtly racialized. It's always been kind of about outcasting. And I think right. that's why when it came back as a teen comic, it it did so much better. Because teens don't feel normal, no matter how nope. straight, white, and male they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my understanding is that they kind of canceled it here in 1970 because of sales. And yeah, I like I said, it, yeah, it was not doing well. It wasn't doing particularly well. They had to, they kind of like swapped writers and artists around a little bit. And I'm pretty positive that what happened was that they were going to just cancel it outright. And then they saw how the last like couple of issues sold and they were like, well, that's a little appealing. So why don't we turn this into a reprint title? And so then it was on sort of life support. To Stan's credit, uh, one of the things he did really well, pretty much is cancel nothing and never kill a character. And eventually the right mix of writers, artists, intention and moment in time Mm -hmm. give, have given a lot of things a, uh, a fresh hit. Yeah. um, We were, we were talking a little bit when we were putting this together, deciding what to read. They, the X-Men didn't, fully disappear like these characters as sort of one-offs showed up as guest stars in other comics and then uh, a year before or within the last year before this uh, these issues came out they did introduce wolverine in the hulk storyline and i don't know that they explicitly introduced him as a mutant i didn't read the issues it kind of seems like maybe they didn't address the idea that he was a mutant maybe he's just a spooky guy named wolverine with claws and then they sort of retcon it in a lot uh, of characters aren't aren't mutants until they're nothing else and they kind of want to use them in a different way uh (laughs) yeah 
And I, I may have misspoke. To clarify, that was in 1974. Because to, to further clarify what we read were those three issues from 1970. And then we've jumped ahead five years to 1975 uh, to read Giant Size X-Men number one, which is the last piece of X-Men content made before Claremont takes over, which we will get to when we get to it in our normal process. But I thought it'd be fun for us to read that, too, because it kind of introduces the the new exciting team that we come to know and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we sort of get the death knell of the OG team and the intro of the new team. Now, what a, did you did you enjoy these first these these final three issues? Like, so what? I really liked the Sunfire issue. Um, Me too. Yeah, I think it was really good. To walk through the plot beats a little bit, we open in kind of a similar setting as um, the Civil War movie. Is that the one that opens on the UN with King T'Challa? Yeah, uh uh-huh, yep. So it's a sort of similar thing where this this sort of uh, uncategorized high-level diplomat from Japan (laughs) is in in the States sort of memorializing this uh, new, new Statue of Unity. And as we learn, mm-hmm. this is Sunfire's father. Yeah. Sunfire is Japanese. He's raised by his father and his uncle. His uncle carries uh, quite a bit of grief and anguish about the war. His father sort of just wants to, you know, get get peace established and, and yeah. know, move forward. And Sunfire is stuck in the middle. Yeah, and Sunfire's mom died in the bombing of Hiroshima. And uh, as we come to learn throughout this issue, when his uncle took him to Hiroshima when he was older and was like, I have kind of an idea. Go touch this irradiated soil. Yeah. The, like, and it's the closest we've it's the closest we've gotten in a while. So there's always been this little undercurrent in X-Men who one of their one of the sort of soft nicknames uh, in in the sort of Marvel canon is the Children of the Atom. Yes. But it is never said that they sort of were caused by atomic radiation, and it's never really addressed. It's just kind of considered, I don't know, right. cool. It's just cool uh, words. Yeah, it's it's definitely cool words. I mean, there's there's been, you know, in, in later canon, it's shown that there have been mutants back in history. Yes. You know, that predate the atomic bomb. So, like, obviously, they can't all come from from fallout from nuclear explosions. But it's certain that Sun Sunfire's, if if not his mutation, it, at the very least, a latent X gene was activated by the uh, the touching of the Hiroshima soil. And yeah, which, which is interesting and cool because it kind of like symbolically really ties him to the fucked up thing that happened. And uh-huh. and in like a literal way that I found really fascinating. Something I thought was cool that I didn't ex- I thought it would be kind of nuanced for the times and especially uh, with some of the writing we'll mention later, I guess, because we have to because uh-huh. uh, it, it, it exists. What I thought was a fairly ahead of its time take on the state of geopolitics with America and Japan. So Sunfire's outfit sort of resembles the the rising sun flag. Mm-hmm. And it has come to be fairly resented in a lot of parts of Asia for the atrocities committed under that banner. Yes. And I didn't really expect a white american from in the 60s to have that insight i guess 
because he's talking yeah. about about you know the his pride in the flag in the rising sun flag and his dad the cool uh the cool father slaps the <laughs> shit out of him yeah i i have i have mixed feelings on this because obviously this is 1970 so like it's quite a while ago at this point and views on things are different but i i had kind of a roller coaster with this issue because one of the first things that we hear about the bomb is like this you know incredible statesman mr yoshida is like dedicating this statue and somebody in the audience is like wow that's my kind of guy he makes me feel like maybe the big one was worth it after all Ooh, which kind of like yeah. gave me this 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 yikes feeling of like well i guess the bomb wasn't so bad if it turned him into well-spoken men like this and it's like jesus christ like i i, I wasn't sure if that was the comic's perspective or just this guy's perspective but then later the comic bothers to show us the horrible thing that happened after the bomb and like really like teach us the the history of this character whose life was like forever destroyed in a way by what happened there. And so it actually it like gave me more faith back. I was like, oh, OK, so we are kind of doing like a multifaceted look at this situation. But I don't really know exactly how to feel in the end about about their take on it. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. What, what do you think? Did you feel like it was mostly positive? In that issue, I did. Within the context of this one issue, I thought that Sunfire learned his lesson, which is, you know, this is this issue is sort of a backdoor origin story for uh, for Sunfire. Yeah, it's sort of presented. The plot is presented because it happens in the now, but mm-hmm. really, this is his origin story as a hero. Yeah, I guess. I guess what I sort of had trouble with is the idea that like oh, the war was already decades ago. Like, why are we hung up on it? It's like, well, first of all, it was only like 25 years ago. I would right? say, I would say in the context, <laughs> yeah. I can trust, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby to be uh, quite hung up on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, you know, uh, I, I get yeah. the sentiment, but I, I, I believe that so much of, so much of Marvel's DNA and superhero DNA is born out of, the Jewish American angst of the twenties, thirties and forties totally. that, uh, that, that is not said without understanding the weight of what it is. It's not just, there are plenty of glib references, uh, <laughs> within Marvel that don't get how racially insensitive it is. Right. And I think in reference to it's world war two, it was decades ago. I, I think that, I think they're on the same page as us in this, in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I think I think the only the the energy that kind of left me with a little bit of a sour taste, because, again, I really did like this issue and I like it a lot for all the reasons you mentioned. I think what was what I had a little bit of issue with was the idea that like Mr. Yoshida, his dad, the one who wants to sort of like put put things behind him and move on towards peace and then like convincing Sunfire is like, oh, you're right. We definitely should. And is like his like dying words because his dad dies. It's like forge the tools of peace from the chains of war. It's like those are all definitely good sentiments, but it feel feels a little bit like from the American perspective, like, oh, come on. This was this was years ago. Get over well, it, Japan. <laughs> well, I guess I guess the thing of it is, is just the the notion of international peace as a concept. Like, yes, it, yes, exactly. the children have scars and have to agree to put them behind themselves. It, it's yep. just. And it's I the only that. way. And it, and there's no, it, it is, com- and that's, it, I, I found that to be a part of the internal struggle of this issue. Like, 
the uncle and Sunfire are like, wasn't that long ago, bro. We're still pissed. And that's very relatable. And I didn't find them villainized at all for that take. No. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, it's just his father was, you know, he's had a son. He lost his wife. He's got perspective yep. and a goal. And he wants peace and prosperity. And I also empathize with that position. I, uh, it's just a really good issue. It's a good like, issue. It's just really good. A lot good. of moral topics and not a lot of <laughs> heavy-handed answers. And, and yeah. Or uh, moralizing. It's mm -hmm. it's it's a great one. This was this was sixty four X Men Uncanny X Men sixty four. If anybody's got the ability to see it, that's the one. Yeah, it's a really very, very it's a really cool. good issue. Uh, these next two, yeah, not so much, not so much on the next. I two. like the second one, but it doesn't have any <laughs> weight. It, no, like, I thought it was it was neat, and I thought they were setting up kind of what's going on in the giant size because I know the broad strokes of uh -huh. this history, but I haven't read the issues. So in the next one we read, it leads to what it seems to be the X-Men sort of riding into the sunset for what is most uh, almost guaranteed to be on, you know, certain death. Uh-huh. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. And that lines up with how I know X-Men to end before Claremont takes over. But um, I guess they, they sort of recycle this idea in the next in the giant size. Yeah. Yeah. So this one to sort of briefly talk about it there's like these aliens showing up that have this crazy technology where they can move slash teleport their entire planet wherever the hell they want to go which is itself kind of a cool spooky idea there's a planet approaching earth that sucks and they're the xenox and we thought professor x was dead but oh no it turns out he's alive and he's just been prepping for this uh which i think is a, a move they pull a lot they they pull moves like this quite a bit um <laughs> I, I don't really get it i i feel like I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's a it, it seems wholly unnecessary. Having not read everything leading up to this, mm -hmm. this was not in the time where superheroes were killed, and so I don't know how realistically people thought Professor X was dead. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Perhaps they did. Uh, I I lack the context for that for that piece of Americana. If the death of Professor X. In the <laughs> '60s, shocked the world. <laughs> I don't think it did because in I every other it. iteration of the X Men besides the comic, he's always alive, yeah. regardless of which point in the history they're they're starting. What I thought was, uh, I mean, aside from continuing to sort of laugh at at a couple of these characters, because uh, Bobby is constantly kind of an idiot, and Warren is like a huge loose cannon. So is Iceman and Angel. There's a point where like where Cyclops' brother Havoc is explaining about the aliens and that they're on their way and Bobby goes, what's that got to do with us? And I'm like, uh, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby? <laughs> oh, Bobby. What I what I really thought was noteworthy about this issue uh, is the sort of cavalier attitude that Xavier has with just like other people's brains. Yeah. Because well, <laughs> I, I, get, I get that the whole planet is at stake, but his master plan here to fight the Xenox is he sort of uses like like database filtering in his mind. He connects with everyone on Earth and then is like, okay, okay, computer, search for good people and then finds all these millions of good people. And then he's like, also, I don't want people who, if I distracted them, might cause people to die, like pilots or doctors. It's just like so, this so weird I, I, sorting. I, yes, the weird <laughs> sorting is very weird. Uh, but I, I loathe so much when people, uh, when writers... Uh, add in 
unnecessary detail to their magic system, which doesn't add any complication or or interesting facet. So oh, Professor yes. X can uh, Professor X won't won't take over pilots. Uh huh. <laughs> but there was but before that line, there was no reason that he needed their like attention. He could have no. just been like sort of using the sort of uh, you know just low grade juju that all brains emit. Yeah. I also it's it felt a little bit like that guy at work who over explains his job so that it seems more complicated when in, when yeah. actually he's not doing that much. Or he's like, OK, well, it's if you don't you just don't understand how tough my my Professor X life is because I got to like filter out all these pilots. I had, so first I had to sort by are they good? <laughs> Do you know how hard that is? Because let me tell you that um, philosophers have been working on that one for a while. <laughs> And then, but I is, did it. I solved it. And uh, then, of course, well, you know what good people do? Really important job. So now I'm fucked again. <laughs> I bet you never would have thought about the doctor thing. You would have let all their patients die. Not me. I got all this on my back. Well, the, the crazy thing is that after this, this is the whole point, right? He gets all their good energy, their good vibes. He's vibing like a Gen Z kid on TikTok. You know, that's how you know I'm a millennial is that is that the, oh, no, we the, were slow, the slow back. way. We were, no, 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 no. We were vibing with Scissor back, all the way, all the way in the early aughts. They don't. No, 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 no. That was us. The, that was us. And we're vibing. We invented vibes. But he gets I mean, all their me. good vibes. I was not cool enough. <laughs> and he funnels all the good vibes through Gene. Jean then sends it to Alex. So Jean, I don't know what her point in this chain was, but she's there first. She gets it from Jean. She gives it to Alex. Because it's it's he, it, they've got different powers. Because right. Professor X is not telekinetic. No, exactly. And Jean is both telepathic and telekinetic. So I guess I guess there's a there's a telekinetic element. So she, if you would have let me explain this all from the very beginning, <laughs> shut the fuck up. She gives it to Havoc, and he uses his like woo-woo powers to boost the signal and then he gives it to scott and scott i guess infuses the good vibes into his eye all the good vibes to shoot a planet (laughs) he shoots a planet with good vibes (laughs) and that's why the exit is the best comic ever written I just, it was crazy. It was crazy to read, and I really did love it. And it just kind of works, and the planet runs away. And uh, and at the end of this one, Xavier collapses. And I'll give us about one to two minutes to talk about this Hulk issue. Anything the Hulk issue is a complete nothing burger, unfortunately. Nothing happens of consequence, and even the Hulk fight is incredibly tame. And that's yeah. everything there is to know about this one. Yeah, there's a big deus ex machina thing that gets... Xavier not like dying anymore from the Xanox fallout and now he's alive and it's good and we sort of end with it and he never needed to be almost dead to begin with that's what I don't no. get like he really they didn't. again Stan added that complication to his magic system then solved it the next <laughs> issue in a complete nothing burger of a comic so to be good fair job, to Stan, Stan this was good this job. is down to Stan, this is, good this job is not, stand in <laughs> stand in Lee Anderson. Yeah, it's uh what is it? I, I don't remember the guy's first name. O'Neill wrote 65 and Roy Thomas wrote 66. So Okay. But Stan's still the editor in chief, so he gets to okay everything, and he thought this was fine. So damn it, Stan. 
that's the end. That's where they cancel the title. Everything turns into uh, reruns from there for the next like several years until uh, until Claremont takes over. And I think 94 and between now and then, right before Claremont's run, Len Wein. Well, and uh, oh, God, what the hell's his first name? I only wrote their last names. Wine and Cockrum are the writer and the artist. You know, I want to say before we get into this one, it's an yeah. interesting idea because we've seen it done with TV shows going into syndication where, you know, you wrote something good or you believe it. You believe in it, whether that's true sure. or not. You 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 have this idea. I wrote I wrote these issues of the X-Men or we the Marvel Corporation wrote 60 something episodes issues of this thing. And we believe it's good. And it didn't sell well. Now, we can't really justify paying for art and writing for how it's selling. But mm-hmm. we can just keep... We can we can go through the run again, just like a show that sort of gets a second life, you know, Monday y- through Friday. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah, comic syndication. Point, <laughs> it kind of was, right? I mean, I don't think that... I don't think this is a fairly common practice. I, as far as I know, it hasn't been well, done with anything else. But no, this was not the only rerun title that was going at the time. So, I believe it. Okay, fair enough. I was say I, I believe it, but I, it seems uncommon. Yeah, perhaps they'd not. found some success with other stories doing the same sort of thing. Whether or not it's like one new story yeah. and then two reprint stories. Because at the time, these are these are penny comics. They're printed on newspaper. <laughs> and sold they for now, somewhere. They now cost like f- fifteen to twenty cents. Fifteen to twenty cents. So hot damn. Hot damn. So I think it's a cool idea. I think you're like, hey, if I believe in this thing, let's just give it another shot. See if it picks up. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck it. Which does bring us to them regaining faith and coming up with some new angles on it and wanting to revitalize the team. And they do so in giant giant size X-Men number one, uh, 1975. And a really large portion of this first this, this this new story is sort of the entire first chapter is the assemble the crew montage. Yeah, Xavier doing the the first thirty minutes of Ocean's Eleven <laughs> and going around to the new crew. Yeah, I mean, which I kind of like. Some of them are nothing, and then some of them are really cool. So yeah. to just sort of like talk about the the new team, we first go. He goes to Germany and gets Nightcrawler, who classic. Uh, Kurt Wagner's escaping from the carnival. All the ones that they really knew what they were doing with from this point wound up being staples. So yeah, we get yeah. we get Kurt from Germany, uh, who is facing you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I feel like this is the point where we see uh, Stan Lee sort of showing a little bit of his teeth because he he always represents Germany as as basically the. F- 1400s. He's like these backwater yeah. imbeciles, <laughs> and I can't really blame him. I know it's always like the fucking novel Dracula, right? Like the, it's like <laughs> the, like angry mob like... with pitchfork. It's just Dracula <laughs> it's over exactly there, right? <laughs> uh, but I didn't. I didn't realize. So one of the one of the things that I know from obviously consuming a lot of much later X Men material is that like one of one of Kurt's. Nightcrawler's like major refrains is how much he wants to be normal and quote unquote pass, right? We're using that sort uh-huh. of uh thing. And I I was surprised and pleased to see it on his first page, like his first conversation with Xavier is like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come to your school, I guess, if you can help me look normal. Like help me be normal. Yeah. And he's like, Okay. Like I, I really I really liked that there's that angle in there, the sort of like self hatred thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. 
So then he goes to Quebec and meets up with Wolverine, who seems like in this particular iteration to have kind of a a employee relationship with Weapon X rather than later on sort of a test subject relationship with Weapon X. Am I wrong? With Kurt, I think I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, It's not just it's not just self-loathing. It's just the gen. I mean, we see this sort of reflected in Fantastic Four as well with with Ben Grimm, just Mm -hmm. the privilege of not of having the choice to look normal. And we see the great lengths the X-Men go to, especially with Angel and Cyclops uh, to appear normal. Uh, So I think it's always kind of been in the DNA. um, Totally. And kind of a refraction of the idea of the secret identity in general, which was always sort of a sort of in the in the ethos of the Jewish American experience at the time. Like, you know, most some Jewish people got, you know, got to walk around and nobody knew mum was the word. And uh, (laughs) others, you know, didn't have that choice, be it, you know, their name or whatever. Right. Uh, Anyway. okay, so with Wolverine. Uh, so I guess this is not his first appearance in total. Um, right. It's my my yeah. first appearance of him in the X-Men comics. And I have mm-hmm. not read the thing where he appears first in. It, within the context of how fairly tame all characters are in Marvel at the time. Boy, I can see why Wolverine was a hit right out the gate. He is, yeah, he's so he's aggro. He's got <laughs> such, he's got such just twilight energy. Yes. God, I really like him. But but it does seem like he's not he doesn't like Weapon X, but it doesn't seem like he, you know, fucking hates Weapon X right now, right? Like that seems like a, a later change. There's no there's no way to tell because this is his behavior constantly. So <laughs> when he acts how he's acting to Weapon X, it seems within what we've read, within the norm of his of his, yeah. you know, outbursts. <laughs> But yeah, but he hits the ground pretty hard and I didn't expect it, especially with like comparison to other characters who are, well, there's other strong characters like Storm is obviously Mm -hmm. an A-list X-Men from here going on, but it takes a while to find their, uh, for Marvel to find the voice of Storm. Um, Yes. A long time. And even so with Colossus and Nightcrawler as well, who are, I would say those four are the A-listers that show up in this one issue. Absolutely, yeah. And really only Wolverine... You don't think Banshee is an (laughs) A-lister? Banshee, unfortunately, unfortunately, the the siren, the siren of Ireland is (laughs) is sort of a, sort of a weird, weird one. And uh, we haven't even mentioned Polaris. No, no, yeah. I mean, Polaris is a, is a part of this. Uh, What's her name? Lorna Dane. Lorna Dane. So Lorna is a part of this, but she's not here sexy right now. Sexy Magneto. Yeah, sexy Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So who else do they recruit? So they get Banshee. He gets uh, Aurora from Kenya. Storm. Um, yep. And then and then John Proudstar. Ah, uh, yes, John Proudstar. And Sunfire shows up. Sunfire is a great character, but he's never been an A-list X-Men. No, it is. It is funny. He's like when he goes to recruit Sunfire. He's he's like, well. I still hate America, but I guess I'll come along and see. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I get it. Okay. And he's like, fuck this guy. Fuck this ball motherfucker. Fuck this red-eyed motherfucker. <laughs> Sunfire out. And yeah. then we cut to the X-Jet and Sunfire are just kind of both flying the same way. And he's like, well, fuck it. I guess if we're going the same way. 
Oh, you walk home the, this way to, from school? Damn Krenko it. is somewhere in the Pacific between America and Japan. Well, I don't, yeah. nebulously in between, in the sense that one is east and one is west. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, I did want to say, when we meet, I, I thought this was fun. When he goes to Siberia to recruit Peter Rasputin, a.k.a. Colossus, I thought it was really nice how much of a sweet muffin he is. Oh, and yeah, he's a, he's a sweetie pie. He's just out on the farm. And he goes to talk to his parents. He's like, what do you guys think? And they're like, follow your heart, son. And he's like, Papa, I must go. <laughs> I know, Papa. I must go. And uh, the, first, the first glimpse of uh, other A-list X-Men and one of, this is a Rory fave, Ilyana Ooh. Rasputin. Oh, fun. Okay. I don't I don't know much about it about this. She shows up again as an she she'll show up again as an NPC a few more times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then around the Grant Morrison run, she shows up as an X-Men. Early nice. thousands. Late I, we were talking about this on the Discord not too long ago. Like sometime between 99 and 2005 she shows up as a as a main cast. Yeah, so it turns out when we actually get to anything resembling a plot here, uh, the OG X-Men, except for Scott, have all disappeared because they went on a mission to a spooky island called Krakoa, where they, the Cerebro machine thought there was a new, very powerful mutant. I always pronounced and, it, I mean, I've never heard it said out loud by any credible mm-hmm. uh, source. I've always pronounced it Krakoa because it sounds more like Krakatoa. Or, yeah, know, Krakoa, like, sure. It, it seems more like what it's trying to invoke, but mm-hmm. uh, that's pure conjecture. Right. If only the island that walks like a man could talk to us through the page and tell us his name. (laughs) They've been missing. Scott got out, uh, but his eyes were like cured of their powers and he freaked out and he left and he went home. And uh, and so Xavier had to assemble a new team of X-Men to go save the old X-Men. And yeah, when they get there, they find out that the entire island is the mutant, I guess, in sort of an ego, the living planet style way. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of fun. I mean, I mean, yes, this is this this goes down as a really important moment in X-Men history. I don't know that it's really treated like it doesn't quite get that treatment in this issue. Like, uh-huh. you don't know this is going to be, you know, one of the best, not best, but like pivotal moments in, in the in the story. Mm-hmm. And we get little glimpses of it. But again, I think I think it's pussyfooted around and either they didn't eg- sort of fully examine the context of what the plot was, it was just sort of a fun adventure plot or they were sort of saving it for a later reveal. But essentially professor X kind of knows this, like he's been in some sort of low level, low grade communication with Krakoa. Yeah. He knows it exists and he knows it wiped out his a team. And it's sort of revealed later that he sort of put together a suicide squad he sort of yeah. put together as, uh, an Expendables team for a more <laughs> a, a more appropriate uh, genre reference because yeah totally of the yeah yeah I mean you get that you get that vibe right I mean yeah. like you get the vibe but they don't really hit it on the head they, they don't blame Xavier for it at all really like in the no. moment nobody's like how dare you send all these like like you're just like you're expending us like nothing uh, nobody's really doing that they're all just sort of like okay bald man um. This is this is another one of these moments, like when Scott shoots good vibes at a planet, because <laughs> my, my understanding vibes. of what happens is that I think Xavier orders Storm to gather like electric energy to supercharge Lorna Dane, who then blasts some sort of magnet blast all the way down to the Earth's core, which destroys the entire island. Am I wrong? I think 
<laughs> you are not wrong. Uh, well, they shoot the they don't they can't destroy the islands. So they just shoot into space. Is sort of my <laughs> my understanding because they stayed on Earth, right? They they yeah. they were on this little this little uh, piece of land that that uh, somehow Lorna Dane was able to surgically keep some land for the X Men. Uh, yeah, I guess I couldn't tell whether or not like what happened to the actual island because at one point they say it's breaking it up, like, like it's breaking uh, yes. into pieces, or I it don't know. It looks like they shoot it into space. I think from the from this issue, Krakoa is not uh-huh. gone in in later iterations of the X Men. I don't know uh, if totally. that's a retcon or if it lands back in the ocean <laughs> and swims back to its spot. I don't know. <laughs> the island that swims like a man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's a cool issue. It's a lot of fun. And it really it serves to be a big splashy entrance for a lot of really dope new characters. But the end line is hilarious because it's just this pan out and we hear somebody go, yeah, but what are we going to do with 13 X-Men? And, <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it the Brady Bunch? Now? And I've only got three beds. <laughs> oh, what a conundrum. <laughs> oh, what is an X-Man to do with all these X-Men? <laughs> so few clothes. Yeah, I, I really liked this a lot. It was very cool. Very fun to read. Yeah. Visually interesting. And and, and even the uh, even the, the like narration panels were cool. And they kind of had this like torn paper look to them like Watchmen did later or, or like some other things. Like, I don't know. It felt like they were it felt like they put a lot of spit shine on this one, you know? Yeah. Did you did you draft up a fuck Mary Kill? Oh no, did you? Okay, here we go. No. Here we go. This uh, is what's going to happen. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome. It's this because we've got fuck Mary Kill. Where we got one in the gun, one in the bum and one who is the one and we get to decide who's in it. I was gonna say I was gonna give it to you. I was gonna give you the right of first refusal. Well, I think I think we can I think we can each choose people. So like you get like I'll give you first and third pick, and I'll take second pick. Who do you put in? Okay, with two picks, my first my first pick is gonna be is gonna be the very loud Irishman Banshee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. Also, okay. it's funny in the comic uh, because we can't hear comic books. <laughs> and it's not really given any of the gravitas that, say, a Black Bolt is. Uh, yeah. At some point, Banshee yells, and it seemed to just greatly annoy everybody else. Yes. <laughs> and how strong it is besides annoying, I don't know. All right. So for my one pick, I gotta do Krakoa, the island that walks like a man. <laughs> swims like a man. And swims like a man and fucks like a man. Uh, so that's that's my pick. Okay, we got the third one. we've got Banshee. Um, I am going to... I'm going to throw a heavy hitter in here. Oh. Uh, just to m- mix things up a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, Peter Rasputin. Colossus. Oh, man, that's a ringer. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, this is, this is, I'm not going to say this is the toughest one, but I don't know what, I want to kill Banshee and Krakoa, but I also want to fuck Krakoa. Is that yeah, weird? Yeah, that's the thing. In this context, there's nothing gained from fucking Banshee. <laughs> and at least one fuck. Well, especially because if he makes any sex noises, the whole town knows yeah, what you're and, doing. And, and so we, I kill Banshee as well. And... Uh, I, I'm like Eminem, and I'm gonna fuck this whole Earth, Krakoa. 
Yeah, I don't know, because because you got to marry the sweetie pie with the skin of iron, right? I like, think there's a pretty reasonable case to be made you fuck him, but that yeah, would I know. mean your Mary's a little bit wishy. Wishy Mary is a bad choice. Your Mary's not awesome. In the greater scheme, if you if you take oh, the Faith macro, and Bagara, if, yeah, okay, get out. <laughs> the whole ecosystem of fuck Mary kill is disrupted, <laughs> but you definitely would. You really are tempted to ruin everything, to kill off the penguins forever for one night with, with Colossus. Yeah. Yeah, I know. God, I, I, I just really liked his relationship with his parents. He seemed really nice and really respectful. Yeah. What a good, what a good guy. I think you got to marry him. You got to marry the country boy. Oh, they, they, they snuck in a, a, little, a fun little uh, communist line where he's like, Professor X shows up to uh, to recruit him for his heist, and mm-hmm. he and tells and tells Peter he's a mutant and has superpowers. Colossus asks, "Doesn't that mean I must be owned by the state?" <laughs> Although, of course, the Western you know out in Western society, Wolverine actually is owned by the state. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of a neat little dichotomy there. Hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure that Colossus is always pretty cool. Like. I've always liked him from afar, but I've never really like engaged with much of his content. Like I haven't read a ton of Colossus stuff. Oh um, yeah, he's he's always he's always been great. I think was a little tone deaf when they had they he appears. It's it's some of it is how it's drawn, and some of it's how it's represented, and mm-hmm. some of it's uh, the times, and some of it's inexcusable. Uh, <laughs> but he does start dating a significantly teenaged Kitty Pride. And you're like, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But I don't think he's given he's never really given an, an overt age other than his bigness. It sort of <laughs> <laughs> it telegraphs adult. Yeah. Yes. It's not my fault. I'm so big. <laughs> I'm 14. And I'm very mutant. <laughs> Look at these big mutated bones. I'm like dinosaur. <laughs> so it sounds like we agree. Uh, that we kill Banshee, we fuck Krakoa, and we marry Colossus. I want to, before we leave this issue, I want to just bring up one thing, which speaks to how much he must have pissed us both off, and I know how you feel about him in general, but we never mentioned Beast a single fucking time today. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay with it. Yeah. That that character is insufferable in the, in the issues that we read. He does not yeah. stop using a fucking thesaurus, and... At one point, he's run out of things to call the Hulk in that Hulk issue where he's been using all sorts of weird like synonyms for green and synonyms for monster to like sound impressive. At one point, he just fucking calls him the avocado antagonist. And I <laughs> I, I was so yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah, my issue with Beast, th- there are other characters who are either morally complicated, morally compromising, morally compromised or intentionally annoying. And when they're written with intention, I'm always kind of there for it. I've very few writers have shown, have really gone so far as to point out how awful Hank is. Yeah. God, you would not want to be around him. (laughs) What an exhausting person. And the fact that the writers don't get it, make it really hard for me to like him as a character. Yeah. You know who I really liked? We only got like a few minutes with him, but John Proudstar shows up and he tells Xavier to stuff a cactus. 
<laughs> and then he's like, oh, the white man needs me? Oh, how tough. That's... <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, pop off, John. <laughs> hey, call me once. Call me with news. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's gonna have to do it for us. This has been this has been our shameless issue number twenty three. And uh, let's see, what can I do for a sign out? I'll say, I'll say, may may you all take inspiration from Krakoa and be men who walk like islands. <laughs> I don't know what that fucking means. <laughs> this is why we need you back, Shane. Bye. Bye. Bye.